There's hope among us. Jesus reigns over death's hard grave, and we are His forever. Oh, He is our King Love incarnate, love divine Star and angels gave the sign Bow to babe on bended knee The Savior of humanity Unto us a child Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Glad to have you with us. Is everybody still making their way in today? We'll go ahead and get started. So glad that you're here with us. If you're a guest, 
thank you for being here. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's wonderful to have you all worshiping with us together. Before we jump into the service, I have a few just quick announcements I want to throw your way just so you know what's going on around here. First, ladies' ministry. If you're one of our ladies, uh, this coming Saturday, they're having their annual Christmas brunch. It is an amazing time. You're not going to want to miss this. Um, today's the last day to buy tickets, though. You can get those as you walk out of either door as you leave here. Uh, that's going to be this coming Saturday at 10 o'clock. Don't forget that and be a part of that. Second, for Christmas, we are now beginning to take up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So what is that? We are a Southern Baptist congregation, and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is, a, is an offering that all Southern Baptist churches across the United States of America, about 47,000 churches, take up this offering together for the purpose of international missions. Why do we do that? Well, there are about 7 billion people that live on planet Earth, and it's believed that around 4 billion of them are unreached. What that means is this. I know in a context like ours, it's difficult to wrap our brains around because you passed 37 churches on your way in today. But roughly half the world's population lives somewhere where more than likely they're going to be born, live, and die, and never come in contact with another Christian that can tell them about Jesus. Half the world's population is unreached, and they have no logical means by which someone can assume that they're going to get a chance to hear the gospel. This is what this offering seeks to put a dent in. This is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Every dime that comes in for this goes straight out for that. We don't keep any of it in-house. Um, all of that money goes to help fund missionaries to go reach those 4 billion people. Reach those people who may not have any other opportunity to hear the gospel. You can, through giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you have an opportunity to be a part of seeing the most unreached people in the world have a chance to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can give in two ways. You can either write a check and just mark it Lottie Moon Offering and put it in the giving boxes as you leave. Or you can give online through our app and just designate it as Lottie Moon Offering. Again, all of that goes straight there. None of that stays in-house. It all goes to the International Mission Board um, for International Missions. Um, but we encourage you to give. Our goal is $20,000 as a church this year, okay? Um, so that's our goal for this year. So be in prayer about how you can give to be a part of that, you're really going to want to take time to be a part of that. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for you to be a part of international missions. And then last is this. During Christmas season, we've got a lot going on, right? So I just want to highlight a couple of things so you know what's happening here. First, on December 16th, we're having um, what we're calling cocoa, carols, and chili, all right? It's a great combination, we're going to come together, sing Christmas carols, hang out, and have a chili cook-off. It's going to be amazing. We already got a whole bunch of people signed up for the chili cook-off. We want you to come be a part of that. Text in carols, C-A-R-O-L-S, carols, to our number, 910-424-1298, to sign up for that. Come be a part of that. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun for us to come together in fellowship here at Christmas time. And then also for Christmas, we want to let you know about our Christmas Eve 
services. So first is this, Christmas Eve morning, that's a Sunday, we're just going to have one service here at 11, okay? No kids ministry, no youth ministry, no journey groups, none of that, just one service, everybody in here at 11. And then we're going to come back at 5 o'clock that night for our Christmas Eve candlelight service. So Two service opportunities here on Sunday, Christmas Eve, 11 o'clock in here, and then 5 o'clock our Christmas Eve candlelight service. You're not going to want to miss either of those. There's going to be a wonderful time worshiping Jesus together. And for every other announcement, all that we have, download our app, uh, iTunes or Google Play. You can download our app to see what's going on here, follow along with sermon notes, all those sorts of things through the app. Please be sure to do that. You can give through the app as well or, again, in the giving boxes as you leave, and especially if you are a guest with us today. I want to encourage you, do two things for me. If you're a guest today, do two things. One is this, text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. All right, text CONNECT, you'll get a link, hit on it, just answer a couple of questions just so we know who you are so we can stay connected with you. Second is this, directly after this service, my wife and I are going to be at the welcome desk in the back. Please come by and say hello. Um, we would love for you to do that. We had, uh, in our last service, we had several families come by and say, we've actually been attending for a while. We've never just said hello. So whatever it is, if you're a guest, if we've never been able to connect, please go by that desk in the back so you can say hi and we can put a name with a face and know who you are, all right? But for us today, as we're worshiping the Lord together, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And I want to begin by reading some scripture there as we see this story unfolding of Jesus and his birth. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We see here these wise men that see this star. They're studying the scriptures. They're, they're starting to discern what's going on. The Messiah is born. And so they go on this journey. And these wise men, when they travel, they've traveled thousands of miles through very difficult terrain, very dangerous circumstances, all in search of this Messiah that they've heard about. They heard a new king, a different kind of king was born. A king that has a different kind of kingdom, not of this earth. And they traveled thousands of miles to try to find him. And I want you to know the same is true for us today. Hebrews eleven six says that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, we don't seek him by having to travel thousands of miles on a camel. But we seek Him in our hearts. And I want to encourage you today, as we're gathered here together worshiping, I want to encourage you to come here into this moment, into this place, seeking God in your hearts. Trust God when He says that He rewards those who seek Him. He rewards those who seek Him. He promises that if you seek me, you will find me. Seek after God today. In your hearts, tell God right now today, God, I want you. I need you. I'm, I'm pursuing you. I want to see you for who you are. I want to grow more in love with you. I want to grow in greater knowledge of who you really are. I'm seeking after you today. And believe by faith 
and he will reward you for that pursuit of him. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads for me and I wanna pray for us as we go into our time of worship together. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the example of these wise men that pursued you. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know what it was going to look like when they got there, but they just knew. Something great is happening. God is doing something, and we want to seek and be a part of it. I pray, God, for us here today now. And in our hearts, we will seek after you. I pray, God, that right now, all in this room, people are stirred up in their hearts to desire you and seek you, to know you in greater ways, to pursue you in greater depths. And I pray, God, that we will believe today that you will be true to your word and reward those who seek after you. Thank you, Jesus. Do this work in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together, guys, and worship King Jesus.
drug addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. Shine through the shadows 
Is uh, is this the casting call? Yes, it is. You're in the right place. Good. My name's George Clooney. Uh, not the actor George Clooney, although I have heard that we do look alike. And before you ask, are you two related? I don't know yet. Still gotta check that on FamilyTree.com though. Welcome, George. So you're here to audition for the live nativity scene this year? That is right. I really think that I, if you could put me in, we could really add a lot and just make things better. Great. What character are you auditioning for? Well, I was actually looking through the scripts and I realized that the character is in the play. He's just not exactly in this scene. And I think we could, we could add a lot if we put him in. So you would like to audition for a character that's not even in the live nativity? You know what? You're right. And that is why people say what they say about you. They're exactly true. You're just so easy to talk to. And I think if you allow me, we could really chew up the scenery this year. Help me help you. Which character are you talking about? King Herod. Herod? I know, right? We've all been wondering, where's King Herod? <sighs> Let it wash over you. Give it a minute. Wondering what? Where's King Herod? He started this whole thing with the census. I just don't know why he's not in it. He's the bad guy in this story. Exactly. And you know what they say. Every great story has a great villain. Darth Vader. Gas prices. Bowser. Why not put King Herod right in the middle of all that? He sends the wise men to go and check things out. You're right. You're right. That is why you are the director. But what if King Herod was one of the wise men and he jumps out of nowhere and yells with his evil King Herod laugh, <laughs> I've got you now, my pretties, and that little drummer boy too. I think you just quoted a spy movie and Wizard of Oz all at the same time. I know, it's great. Why don't we change the greatest story ever told? He wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill all the male babies around so he would still be king. He tried to outsmart God. You know what? He almost did too. He didn't, not even close. Why don't you just pick a character that was an actual eyewitness to the greatest story ever told? Oh, I don't, I don't want to. They're all dirty. Poor, and their clothes weren't very fancy either. That's the only way it can work. Hmm, no. George? Why can't we do it my way? My idea is great. Let's not make this story my story. That's where you and so many people get it wrong. It's not your story, it's his story. Sorry, the script isn't about you. I would love for you to play a part in this story, but when you've made it about you and your ideas, we lose sight of why we even celebrate the greatest story. All right, all right. So what you're saying is that my ego is not my amigo. Uh, okay, well, I guess I could play someone else, right? <laughs> uh, well, the shepherd? I could be a shepherd. Uh, they carry a big stick, and I guess they saw an angel at one time. Sure. Or... What if the shepherd is actually a time traveler who goes back in time to the 8th century BC 
with all prior knowledge and he goes to help and save people from the incoming destruction and doom. That's what Jesus did. Next. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 2 together, all right? Matthew chapter 2. As we continue our study of the cast of Christmas, looking at Herod the Great. While you're finding that, a couple of quick things uh, for you. One, you'll notice over here some toys under the tree. Um, that's uh, toys that we have put together for the angel Christmas tree that we're working on. And so that's going to all go out today. So if you are a part of that and bring us some of those in, thank you so much. Uh, we'll get those sent out today for those kids. Uh, second of all, I want to give you um, another quick announcement. Um, on April 12th, um, we're going to have uh, in downtown Fayetteville, there's going to be um, a Christian concert. Uh, two bands, Disciple and Decipher Down, are going to be at Festival uh, Park. Um, telling you this now because if you'd like to, to, to go to that show, um, during the month of December for Christmas, they're offering $5 off for tickets. Uh, so you can go to eventbrite.com uh, and search Darkness will fall in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and uh, you'll be able to find those tickets and purchase those for $5 off if you'd like to do that. All right, Matthew chapter 2. So, uh, so again, looking at the cast of Christmas and looking at different angles of this Christmas story to see what the Lord has for us in it. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Ryan looked at the angels and how the angels proclaimed the greatest story ever told and how we get to proclaim that same story as well. And today we're going to look at Herod, known as King Herod or Herod the Great. It's kind of funny that he would call himself Herod the Great because um, in actuality he was only about four feet tall. True story. Um, and uh, like a lot of guys that would be four feet tall, you can imagine he had a little bit of a complex with that. Um, so you imagine this little four-foot guy running around going, call me the great. Like, All right, short stack, we got you. So, but in a weird way, there were a lot of things that were great about Herod. Um, he was a great politician. The fact that he could rise up the ranks of the Roman Empire like he did and stay in power as long as he did, you have to be a brilliant political tactician. Uh, second, he was a master administrator. Uh, he really was brilliant when it came to finances and administration. He was also a phenomenal builder. Um, he rebuilt the Jerusalem temple. Uh, if you ever visited Jerusalem, uh, the Temple Mount, Herod built that. He built palaces and theaters and entire cities all throughout the Roman Empire. Um, he, he really accomplished some great things. However, though, Herod the Great was also a great maniac. Uh, he was homicidal. Uh, he so desperately wanted to stay in power that he would murder anyone he felt might be in his way. And that would include the fact that he killed his own wife, he killed his own mother-in-law, and he killed his own son. All because he was paranoid that they might try somehow to overtake his throne. Um, 
In fact, um, Augustus, the Roman emperor, said, um, uh, Herod uh, um, became Jewish. Uh, he converted to Judaism to try to curry favor with the Jews. He wasn't a very good Jew. Um, killing people seems to not be great with that. So, but because he converted to Judaism, he swore off pork. And so um, the Greek word for pig and the Greek word for son is actually very similar. It's just a, word, it's just a letter difference. Hus is pig and huas is son. And so um, Augustus said um, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. It's better to be his hus than his huas. He was a crazy person. Uh, in fact, when he became sick and knew that he was dying, this is how maniacal this man is. He said, I know no one will cry when I die, so I'll make sure people cry at my death. And he went and wrongly imprisoned hundreds of Jewish leaders and commanded that at his death they all be executed. And they did. Because he said, you'll not cry for me, but when I die, I'll make sure you cry. I mean, that's the kind of insane, crazy person we have here. Okay, this is Herod the Great. So, the question might be, why in the world are we looking at Herod? What is the life of Herod going to teach us about following Christ? And here's my hope for today. So, we're going to see King Herod and King Jesus collide. And we're going to see the differences between the two. I want us to kind of contrast Herod and Jesus and see what it means. What we're going to find today is that if we're honest, a lot of us follow the line of Herod much more than we want to admit. And I want us to dive into the story here and see who Herod is and see what Herod is doing and see if there is some things that we can be honest about ourselves about that we would turn and repent of and seek to follow Christ. Um, the best failures to learn from are someone else's failures. So let's learn from Herod's, all right? Let's learn from Herod's failures and not make our own. So Matthew chapter 2, let's pick it up in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so I love just super fast. Jesus is an infant, right? He's a tiny baby. He has not preached a message. He has not performed a miracle. He has done nothing extraordinary, and yet he's already causing a stir, right? Just Jesus being born has upended everything. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, even in the infant Savior, there is infinite power. Even in a baby Jesus, something powerful and earth-shattering is happening. So it says here, again, that these wise men came. And um, so historically, because of the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we, we typically say there are three wise men, like we got three guys up here. Uh, the Catholic Church actually thinks they have their names. That's not true. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call them Bob, Larry, and Joe. But um, more than likely, there are way more than three. More than likely, there is a massive caravan that has traveled thousands of miles with servants and provisions. This is a huge thing. So put yourself in Herod's shoes, right? So he's already paranoid. He's already 
freaking out because he thinks everybody's out to get him. He's killing family members. He is a crazy person, obsessed with power. And one day, a giant caravan from thousands of miles away shows up on your front doorstep and says, Hey, so we hear a new king is around. Can we, can we meet him? What do you think Herod's response is going to be to that? Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Troubled. Uh, the Greek word troubled, you, same word used in Matthew chapter 14, is used of the disciples when they're on the boat and they see Jesus walking on water. And it says they were greatly terrified. That's the word here. Troubled doesn't mean like, oh, that's, that's, that's strange. No, troubled is it's the Greek for freaking out, right? You don't see it in your English. It's in the Greek. You can't see it there. But freaking out is what Herod is doing right now. He is troubled. He is terrified. He is losing his mind. Not only that, though, here's what else I want you to see in verse 3. Herod the king heard this. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. That is so weird to me. Think about this. We're talking about the Jewish people who have been under oppression for generations. And who have been longing for the Messiah to come. A giant caravan just showed up and said, hey, we think the Messiah is here. They don't respond with joy. They don't respond with praise. They don't respond with thanksgiving. What do they do? They become troubled. Why? Their eyes were focused on Herod. They were scared of, they were more afraid of Herod than they were trusting God. Their eyes were so focused on the natural, they could not see what God was doing in the spiritual. They were so focused on fear of what this might mean that Herod is going to do for them, rather than trusting God to do great and glorious things as he brings his Messiah. I want to encourage you to super quick, parenthetically, as we work through this text, listen to me. Let's don't get so focused on the physical that we lose sight of what God is doing in the spiritual. Don't get so troubled at what's happening in the physical world around you that we lose sight of the great and glorious things God has promised to do in his word. Verse 4, he then gathers everybody together, assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and he quotes Micah 6, 2 here, oh, excuse, uh, uh, 5, 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to the rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. I also love just real quick how in control of this whole thing God is, right? I mean, again, like we saw with George on the video there, Herod was not close to overtaking God and overthrowing God's plan. Like, he, he, he had no control over this. God is doing all of this. He's, he's, he's guiding, he's leading, he's giving dreams, he's giving direction, he's protecting people from things that the, Herod didn't even know he was going to do yet, right? I mean, God is in total control of this entire situation, and he's in total control of your life as well. And then verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. Just a tragic, tragic scene. Again, Herod, this evil, horrible, wicked man, killing all of these children in some vain attempt to try to keep control of his own power. So again, on the surface, you read a story like that and you'd say, well, what in the world are you going to say that's going to compare our life to Herod in any way, shape, or form? And what I want us to see today is, again, in some small ways, not obviously to this degree or this extreme, but in some small ways, you and I can act much more like Herod than we'd like to admit. So I want us to kind of put God's Word in front of us like a mirror and let it look into our hearts and see what God would say to us. All right, so let's jump in, okay? I want to show you three things that I think we see here. Contrasting Herod and Jesus. First is this. Herod cared more about controlling his own life than submitting to God. Jesus entrusted his life to the Father and called his followers to do the same. So again, if you go back to verse 3 of the text, we saw that Herod and Jerusalem were troubled greatly when they heard of this new king. They were afraid of what this new king might mean for their lives. They were afraid of the changes that might need to be made. Herod didn't want to lose control. Herod didn't want to submit. Herod didn't want to change his life at all. He wanted to be in control. Think about it. When something came into his life that troubled Herod, the first thing he did was what? Grab a hold of his own life and try his best to control it. Try his best to stay in charge. Man, don't we do the same thing? In much sneakier ways. Whenever something happens to us, whenever we become troubled and we catch ourselves saying things like, I can never forgive that person. Really? Who's in charge of your life? You or Jesus? I can never, ever get over this. Really? Who's in charge of your life? You or Jesus? 
I will never put myself out there again. Who's in charge of your life? You or Jesus. I can never stop doing this. I can never start doing that. Who's in charge? You or Jesus. So often for us, whenever times of trouble come in, the immediate reaction of our flesh, and this happens to me, and I'm sure it happens to you, the immediate reaction is what? Grab it and try to control. Grab it and try to stay in charge. But on the flip side, look how Jesus handled it. Matthew 26, 39. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is hours away from betrayal and arrest, torture, a kangaroo court, brutal execution. And on top of the physical things that he's going to endure, he knows that he has to drink up the full wrath of God for sin. He knows what's awaiting him. And he is deeply troubled by it. If you've read the gospel accounts, you know Jesus. He's sweating drops of blood. He's so deeply troubled in his spirit. He's literally sweating blood. And how does he respond? Matthew 26, 39, he prays, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is troubled. He's, he's worried. He's terrified. He, 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 he knows what's about to await him. And yes, he says, Father, if there's any way for this not to happen, let it be done. Nevertheless, that's such a key word, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Um, like if I'm honest, and I probably should be because I shouldn't lie to you right now, but when things come into my life that cause me trouble, how easy, how easy it is for me to immediately try to grab a hold of my own life and control it. And when that happens, you know, typically what happens as a result of that? I become more troubled, not less troubled. I become more anxious, not less anxious. Sleep flees from me. I'm lying in bed thinking and, 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 and going over it and going over it and going over it and going over it because I'm trying to think through every possible scenario and what I should say and what I shouldn't say and what I'm going to say now and what I should have said then, right? You're, just, you're going over and over and over. What's happening there? You and I are trying to control our own lives. We're being Herod. We're being Herod. However, when, and I'm praying that God allows it to happen quicker than it happens sometimes, but, but when I come to my holy senses, I get my sanctified sanity back, like was said of the prodigal son in the gospel of Luke when he came to his senses. Sometimes we kind of do that, right? Like we come back to our spiritual senses. We're like, what am I doing? And I submit that to Christ. And I trust him with it. And I say, not what I will, but you will. Not what I want, but Father, what you want. If you want this to go this direction for me, I trust you. If you want me to take the loss on this one, I'll trust you. If you want me to be the doormat here, if you want me to be misunderstood here, if you want me to get the lesser part in this, I trust you. 
And it sounds weird to say, but when I do that, when I come to that point where I say, not my will, but truly your will be done, the amount of peace that wells up in me, right, the peace that passes all understanding because it's not about me trying to control any longer. It is just about Christ and his will for my life. It is the peace that passes all understanding. Herod tried to control his own life when he was troubled. Jesus, when he was troubled, submitted his life to the Father. What about you? What do you do? Second thing I want you to see is Herod knew the Bible but refused to obey it. Jesus obeyed the Father and called his followers to show their love by obeying as well. Uh, At the news of this new king's birth, we see in verses 4 through 6 that Herod called a Bible study. And he got all the religious leaders together and some of the great Bible teachers of the earth would have been there in that meeting. He says, tell me what's going on. And they know. They open up the scriptures and they say, here's what's happening. Here's why it's happening. Here's where it's happening. Here's what God is doing. They lay the whole thing out. It's clearly known and understood. And to some degree, Herod obviously believes it because after that, he gives directions to the wise men to follow that. He knew, he understood, but he did not submit himself to obey. Can I just tell you something very important. It is possible for you to read the Bible, study the Bible, know the Bible, but not actually be changed by the Bible. And and I would submit the most dangerous people in the world are people who know a lot about the Bible, but don't actually live lives changed by the Word. They are dangerous people to themselves and to anyone else around them that comes in contact. Because they think they know things, but they don't actually live the thing. This is exactly who Herod was, but it's not who Jesus was. John 5, 19. Listen to how Jesus is described. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus said, I only do and say what the Father tells me to do and say. And when he tells me to do something, and he tells me to say something, I immediately obey. This is Jesus. You see the difference between Herod and Jesus? Herod heard the words of God and chose not to submit his life to it. Jesus hears the words of the Father and immediately says yes, and immediately obeys. What about us? What about you? Um, You know, a lot of Christians... sadly can relate to um, a meme that I saw this week. You have the lady on the left that says, I can do all things through Christ. And the cat on the right says, you skip church when it rains. I can do all things through Christ. Then why don't you do the things? Then why don't you do it? Why don't you obey? Right? Again, we have so much knowledge of things that we think we know. Okay, then why don't you do it? Again, Herod had the knowledge. Herod knew the things. To some degree, Herod had some belief that it was true, but he did not submit his life to it. What about you? What about you? 
James 1.22 says, Do not just hear the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Look at that verse. Let's unpack that for a quick second. Hearing is important. Without hearing, there can be no faith. But it says, do not just hear. Don't just hear the word, what? And so deceive yourselves. We have people who are self-deceived. Deceive yourselves. We are self-deceived because we think the things that we know equate to some kind of spiritual merit for us. Don't just hear the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Actually obey it. Herod heard the word but did not obey the word. Jesus hears the words of the Father and immediately obeys him. And as, your, as, as his follower, you and I are called to do the exact same. Do you obey? Do you obey? And I want to see one more thing about Herod's life as well. Um, Herod said the right things, but had a secret life. Jesus, however, is the truth and calls his followers to live and walk in the light. You see in verse 7, after his little Bible study, he goes to the wise men. And you see there in verse 7, he went to them secretly and said, Hey, go find the baby. When you find him, come back and get me. And he even couches it and cloaks it in some religious language so I can come worship him too. Herod said all the right things. But secretly, his heart was a billion miles away from God. He said the right things. He knew the right answers. But he did not in his heart's desire to seek God like these wise men were. What about you? What about you? Do you say the right things but not actually live the life? Are there things in your life that you are seeking to keep hidden? And there are several reasons why we would do that. We keep them hidden, one, because, let's be honest, you want to keep doing it, so you hide it. Or sometimes there are things in your life that you don't want to keep doing, but you keep it hidden because you're afraid to tell anyone or confess it. Whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance, I want you to hear me. There is no freedom and joy in the darkness. The darkness cannot provide that for you. You think it gives you cover. But it is not. Truly, the book of Proverbs is going to say, you have two choices. Either we bring our sin out into the light and allow Jesus to cover it with his blood. Or we try to cover our own sin and one day God will expose it. There will be an exposure and there will be a covering for all sin. Every sin in my life and in your life, it is going to be exposed and it's going to be covered. The question is, who's doing the exposing and who's doing the covering? You can expose your own sin, be honest, confess, and allow Jesus to cover it with his blood. Or you can try to cover your own sin and let God bring exposure. I would encourage you to do the former and not the latter. Come out into the light. 
Come out into the light. There is nothing that darkness can provide for you. Don't try to live the secret life, saying the right things, but not really living it. You see this in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Excuse me. That means it's time to stop. Jesus versus Herod. Who are you? Who are you following? Jesus or Herod? Are you submitting to the authority of Christ? Are you allowing God's word to change your life? Are you living in light or in darkness? I ask you to bow your heads for me. As we end our time together, Jesus Christ came to this earth as a baby, but he did not stay a baby. <clears throat> he grew and died on the cross for our sins. Have you trusted by faith in Jesus to make you new? Have you trusted Jesus in his death on the cross to save you, to bring you out of the darkness and into the light? He is the one that makes it possible for you to live new and submit to God and be changed and live in truth. Have you done this? Today, I want to encourage you to do that. Right now where you are, if you need to trust by faith in Jesus to make you new, to save you, today you need to become a Christian. You've been living the life of Herod, but Jesus came to set you free from that. Right now, right where you are, you can just say, Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for my sin. Forgive me. Make me new. I submit my life to you. I belong to you now. If, <clears throat> if you prayed that prayer today, and you're submitting your life to Jesus Christ, I want to ask you right now. I'm not going to make you stand or anything like that, but I, I do want to pray for you. If that was your prayer today, your desire is to submit your life to Jesus, you just slip your hand up right where you are just so I can pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you as we close our time here.
I would love to pray for you and encourage you and help you figure out what that looks like. Please come and talk to me. I would love to hear your story, hear what God has done in your life to bring you to this point, how we can help you. But for all of us today, may we set our hearts on who Jesus is and the life that he has set out for us. A life of submission to God, trusting God. A life of obedience to God, showing our love for him by walking in his ways. And a life marked by light and truth, living who we say we are. Jesus, I pray that you would do this in us. In your name, amen. I'm gonna ask that you stay seated as our band leads us just to spend some time just in prayer and reflection as we focus on Jesus, our Savior and King.
as we end our time here today, setting our hearts on Jesus who came to earth, our Redeemer and our King, worshiping Him for all He's worthy for. Again, if you're a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you. We'll be in the back. We'd love for you to come by and say hello. I want to pray for us and then we'll let you go. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your life, for your love, for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that you set us free from all of this world and all that we try to do selfishly to grab a hold for ourselves. Jesus, thank you for making us new. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.